Hello and welcome to Flynn's Talk. I'm Jack Levitt, one half of the co-host panel for today. The other half is Jeremy Gowan. Jez, welcome back. I mean, I mean, by now we should probably be saying one third. I feel like I'm ready to give up half of... Or maybe if I give up half of mine to Cam, you're a half, I'm a quarter, Cam's a quarter. Does that make sense? Oh, okay. So you're one half, but I'll be a quarter and Cam can be a quarter. I feel like that's fair. I'm happy with a three-way split. Um, um, that, that's fine. <laughs> whatever, whatever way you cut the pie, it doesn't matter. It is lovely to be back for another season, season three. I don't, I don't, I don't think we thought we were going to make it this far when we first started. Yeah, it's been, it's been an incredible ride. Um, it's there's been some some amazing response to the series. And last year we kicked it off because um, you know, COVID <laughs> came along and and stopped us from doing. Some of the other stuff we, we're trying to do through Flynn's Walk, namely the the walk events. But um, yep, yeah, there's been a fair bit happened since kind of April May last year, Jez, when we started doing this, and including getting back to holding our walks earlier this year, which was exactly uh, yeah. awesome to to get everyone back down out in Melbourne, down at Williamstown, and it was an amazing showing, and um, we, we managed to just raise heaps of awareness, have a really have a really nice day. I mean, only kind of a couple of weeks after that, we got up to Canberra, and then. Basically, yeah. a week after that, Melbourne hit another snap lockdown. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's been lucky that we managed to get out there and walk a couple of a couple of times and, and spread the messages as we'd love to be doing. Yeah, it's been good. And yeah, just to have that, just to have the, the big showing of support again. Hmm. And particularly like with COVID happening, going out and being a part of events out in public has, has you know, people are anxious about it. Like it's it's tough. And, and you've seen people go to the football and things like that in around Australia and in some places, it's been big crowds. In others, not so much. And you can just kind of see there's still that hesitancy. Yeah, definitely around. But um, yeah, got got kind of a really big, really big turnout in Melbourne. And then to head up to Canberra and, and introduce the walk to the people up there was was amazing as well. And um, there's a bit more in the works as well with a couple of other Australian cities that we're going to yep. try and have a crack at later this year. But um, we just really have to. It's it's a watch and wait uh, at this stage. But Jez, it's been. Um, it's been a ride, but um, in particular, for anyone who's been studying vet medicine through this time, will have mm. pivoted and flexed and changed changed tack a fair bit. Um, none more so than Dr. Leanne Mallon, who we had on the show last year, and we actually interviewed her while she was in quarantine. Yeah, <laughs> um, trying to trying to get back to Australia. She's from New Zealand and she was studying in Queensland, but she's our special guest today because she's now a new grad vet and has been working yep. for six months. So we thought. Um, in the way of kicking off the new wave of episodes, why not kick off with someone who's experiencing the new wave in a career and uh, get a bit of an update on on where she's at and, and some insights on, on what life's like as a new vet. Sounds good. Let's get into it. We've had so many great guests. We've had a few repeat guests, which is which is cool that we've reached the stage where we've been able to welcome people back and check in mm. um, on their progress and see where they're at. And none none more so than uh, Doctor Leanne Mallon, who we're welcoming, yeah. who is now a fully fledged graduate vet. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. I'm very excited to be back with you guys. I mean, as you know, I love your podcast and I love um, Flynn's Walk and everything about it. Um, so I was excited to, I'm excited to sort of share where I'm at with 
being a vet for six months now, which is pretty cool. It's 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 bloody awesome, and like congratulations on getting through um, last year with everything that was thrown your way. And it was pretty much June 2020 when we last chatted. You were in yeah. quarantine, trying to get back here to finish your finish your study and rotations. But before we go into kind of what's happened since, is it has it sunk in yet that? like the business card's got doctor in front of your name now? Nah, literally every time I like welcome um, new clients into my consult room, I'm like, hi, I'm Dr. Leanne. And like I say it so seriously, but in my head I'm like, I'm Dr. Leanne. So <laughs> it, it hasn't sunk in. Um, I literally said to my parents last night, I was like, because um, we had this hit by car case come in just as I was literally walking out the door and I had to turn around and walk back in because although we had like lots of nurses there, it was literally like, oh no, we need me to have a look at this dog. And I was just, yep. it's so different from being a student where it's like, oh, if you've got time, would you like to stay behind and look at this dog? Whereas this time it was like, oh, we actually need you because you're the doctor. Can you look at this dog? Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's it hasn't sunk in at all. I pinch myself like almost every day being like, is it is this real? Um yeah, I've I've definitely woken up a few times at the middle in the middle of the night after having um, a dream that I haven't actually got through vet school, and I have to check my phone to see my annual practicing certificate to be like, no, nope, I'm actually a vet. It's fine. Just to remind so, yourself, it's like exactly. each time each time you say, "Oh, I'm Dr. Leanne," like when you welcome them in, it's like there's the, the little swipe reaction on the on the Insta story with the like clapping hands or the like hundred percent one. You just need exactly. someone there on cue to like have a little party cracker thing that goes. <laughs> especially, especially like working for so long, studying for so long to get to that point, and then now you're finally here. It's sort of, I'm guessing it's. I mean, I know I've gone through it myself. You get that sort of excitement, daunting, yeah. that mix of, oh no, I'm finally here, and people are relying on me. Literally, it's- that's it. Yeah, the fact that people are relying on me now, I think that was the most daunting part of it all because during vet school you could come up with plans and that kind of thing for for Hmm. treatment um but you'd always check it with an actual vet um and now it's like i can make a plan there's always someone over your shoulder that's it exactly i mean in saying that i do have a really supportive um job and mentor and everything so i can go and double check things but now that I've been working for six months, there's definitely things that I can do where I don't need to double check things. And it's like, oh yeah, people actually um, trust me. Like people come in and they're like, oh, I thought we could do maybe this, this and this, but you're the expert. So I'll do whatever you say. And I'm like, yeah, I'm the expert. <laughs> At least they're acknowledging it. Do you yeah. find like, has that been, you You, was, you just kind of said then about how if uh, when you were studying or maybe even when you were doing your rotations and things like that, you had that opportunity to say, yeah, we'll stay back or sorry, guys, I have to jump out. I've got to be at a family dinner or whatever it might be, wherever you've got to go. And there's now that reliance on you. Like has that, that must be a huge adjustment because now you can't make a plan about what's going to come in the door next, right? And we've talked about this on the on the show before with others. And yeah, how have you, how have you kind of adapted to that even just the thing of like, oh, like you might be starving thinking about heading home on the ferry to go home and and get dinner and next thing you're staying back for two three hours maybe yeah I think the thing that's been really good about my job um especially over the last six months is everybody in the team knows where I'm at and if there is like especially at the very beginning they would only book me in for vaccination consults and if there was something that was obviously more difficult they would book it in 
with the other vets that were more experienced and I've always um, sort of had the opportunity to go in and watch how they run that consult so that whole part when I first started they they eased me in really slowly which is something that I really appreciated um now I guess the fact that they are relying on me as the doctor um like with that hit by car case it's a bit scary because you don't know um how this animal is going to come in like is it almost half dead or is it just like I don't know just pushed over by the car slightly sort of thing and just needs pain relief um and that I guess is always scary when you first get the call but something that my my boss who's also my mentor she said to me she's like don't overthink it before the case turns up just um you know like be like okay I have a sort of an idea of what I should be doing but assess the case first and then make your um your next plan and then when I do assess the case I've always got somebody that I can call whether they're at the clinic at that time or whether they will come in to help me um I've always got somebody there in terms of the staying late side of things for me I'm I think the fact that I have to catch a a ferry because I work on an island and live somewhere else um it means that my work is very aware of that so I will be having to catch the latest ferry most days but I there's a, a time limit where I can't stay any longer and they they know that so somebody else does have to come in and work up the case then it's different when I'm on call because I do live on on island every three weeks um but again I know that I'm on call so I, I know that I'm expected to have longer hours than what my normal working hours are and again if I do need any extra help I've always just I've got somebody that I can call to either discuss what I should do next or they'll come in and actually help me so I'm really lucky in that sort of sense that I'm not kind of pushed to burnout I've got um, boundaries I guess yeah well and you're not you're not sort of flying on your own you've got that support behind you and that understanding with your work about about your boundaries and about your work-life balance and everything like that which is which is good, and especially first job as a as a new vet, it's certainly not not something that I would imagine everyone everyone really gets. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, talking to a few of my, um, I guess they're my colleagues now, but my friends that are were in my cohort, I've had a, f- a few who left their first job because they were promised the world and then thrown into it. Like my one friend, um, she started on the Monday and they threw her into back to back consults as 20 minute consults and um she just had to do it and I mean that's so scary because even things like knowing dose rates of certain drugs and stuff it takes time to learn that sort of thing or to look it up oh yeah um and then on her first surgery day she hadn't even like watched surgeries and she got thrown into performing them herself and her boss had never seen her even do a surgery and she didn't even just get like a a simple um castration of a dog it was a cryptorchid dog which means she had to go searching for the testicle that hadn't dropped and this kind of thing so what was that more of an abdominal cryptorchid cryptorchid yeah that's kind of it i guess <laughs> cryptorchid. yeah it, it basically means that um po- both of the testicles haven't dropped and so one of yeah. them is further up and you kind of have to go searching for it yeah um, so it's a bit it's a bit more of a yeah, yeah. surgery so you know for her that was really scary and um she did end up leaving that job for one with better mentoring um that actually you know they did mentor her so I think yeah I feel 
very grateful that I have got a position where the mentoring that I asked for in my interview has actually followed through and they've gone sort of above and beyond to help me with my learning. That's really good. So as as Jack said, just just taking a step back, it's been about a year since we've spoken to you and last time we spoke to you from memory you were you were about to do your rotations or you were trying to do your rotations. So if you if you don't mind a quick a quick recap on the last year, how how you did finishing uni, how you did finding your new job and everything, getting home, everything that went along with that. Yeah, so it was a bit of a wild year for everybody. I mean, going through COVID and everything. Um, when I last spoke to you, I was in the Western um, in Brisbane, so a five star mm. hotel doing quarantine, <laughs> uh, which was quite enjoyable. Um, that yeah, that I was doing rotations in the sense that it was all online. And then also doing assignments. But the day after I came out of that um, that rotation, I was supposed to be on like a holiday period for a week. And then the uni happened to have a spare spot at um, one of their clinics, which is mixed animal practice. And they were like, hey, do you want to go? And I was like, yeah, definitely. So I basically went out of quarantine straight into my rotations. Um, and I finished those up at uni. Um, a lot of it was practical but there were some components that were changed to um you know work with all the covid um sort of regulations and everything so some of it was still online and then we had some big assignments to finish up um which we had like a whole year to do and i think i ended up doing it in two weeks to be honest <laughs> whoops <laughs> but still did it got it got a good grade so that's fine um, and then we didn't get an actual official graduation, which was kind of a bit of a bummer, um, especially as like my parents who have supported me throughout this whole degree, um, they weren't able to come over and celebrate with me. So we did end up getting an unofficial graduation at my uni where it was just for my cohort and it was kind of like a lunch thing um, with all the uh, clinicians and staff involved in the degree, which was amazing because we still got to dress up in the gowns oh, yeah. and um, regalia and everything and have all the photos. Are they so, delaying that though? Because I know the course, a course I did over two years now, they're only just now talking about doing graduation for. Oh, wow. No, they, they did delay it. Um, so they ended up doing graduation in February or March, I yep. think. Yep. Uh, the thing with that though is that so we have two campuses at the University of Queensland. There's Gatton and St. Lucia, which is in Brisbane. Um, and so they ended up doing it in St. Lucia. And mm. not many of my cohort ended up going because we kind of had our unofficial graduation with all the photos and everything yeah. anyway. So that was fine. So you still mark the occasion, which is good. Oh, 100%. 100%. I mean, we, we got the, the pictures. I don't know if you've seen that meme where it's like, if I don't get a good graduation pic, I'm redoing it all. Yeah. I feel yeah. like I got a good graduation <laughs> pic, so I'm fine. <laughs> Um, and then what do we do? I went off to Stradbroke Island for five days with um, my closest friends and we just celebrated graduating, which was amazing. Awesome. Swam with dolphins and stuff, which was pretty cool. Uh, and then got back and we had a graduation dinner, which was also really lucky. I was part of the committee to organize. So we had to, I don't know, there was a, a lot of different things going on just with COVID again. And we thankfully we got a dance floor and everything and we had a fabulous night so that was epic awesome yeah um and then I flew back to New Zealand and had to do quarantine again 
which was whack, especially as I was there for Christmas. So that was the most oh. interesting Christmas of my oh, life. Wow. You were in quarantine over Christmas. Yeah, I was. <laughs> yeah. They, they were pretty pretty sweet, though. They, like, made a whole Christmas menu and everything. Oh, and, awesome. Yeah, it was it was very well done. Tough roadmap or, or way to, to find your way into working life. And um, that's the bit I guess I'm keen to get some insight from you as well is just around the search for, for a job, which it seems like you found you found something pretty quick. I started searching before I graduated and I think a lot of my my cohort did as well. Most of us had jobs before we had actually graduated as well, so um, which was pretty pretty decent for all of us. Um, I had a few I had an interview before this job that I got and I I didn't get that job. Um, their reasoning was that I couldn't get back earlier. I don't know if that's the legit reason, but that was that was it. Um, and then my friend just happened to be searching on Kookaburra, so an Australian job searching website, which I didn't even think to look at because I, I, I was like, why would New Zealand jobs be advertised there? But turns out they are. Um, and she sent me a job for like an application for a different job, um, which I didn't end up applying for because it wasn't quite close enough to where I, I live. But I happened to see this job um, at Vets on Waiheke and I was like, oh my gosh, Waiheke Island, that would just be the dream kind of thing. Because um, I've, I've, like, I, I live close to Waiheke, obviously, and I've, I've been across there for summer holidays and that sort of thing. And I, I remember when I first got into vet school, when I got the email to say that I had been accepted into vet school, I was on the island. And I remember driving past the clinic and being like, oh, imagine if I work there one day. And then I was like, surely I've got to apply. Like, it'd be so cool. Um, And I ended up having two phone interviews, which were, they weren't video interviews. So I didn't actually know what the people really looked like aside from the couple photos. And you're not getting those cues and stuff as well. Like we're doing a podcast now, but we've got we've got the video stream running here and you're getting that feedback, the visual feedback and the body language. That's tough. Yeah, yeah. but they were just lovely people and I kind of, I had a few things that I wanted out of a job in terms of mentoring that I was very set on. Um, I had, I had like, like a fairly decent list of it, but I had my priorities and I sort of said, oh, you know, I'd like this, this and this. And they were like, okay, we can do that. And we can do this on top of it. And I was like, far out, this is amazing. Uh, so, yeah, through those two interviews, I ended up getting sent my contract and accepting the position. I was a bit worried about it with it being on an island, but um, we, I, we, I just kind of thought, oh, I can figure out the logistics once I move over. And deal. I've often thought about having my own work on some sort of figurative or literal island that I can that I can park and catch a ferry away from so it's sort of like somewhat there's some there's some interesting symbolism yeah. there around around that I'm feeling there's that hey, when you got the contract there's that little emoji yeah. swipe going again um and so like for people who um for us Oz, uh, Aussies over here across the ditch on this side of the ditch Waiheke Island's just like a ferry ride across the harbour I guess um from Auckland City right so um it's somewhat of a like it's not necessarily a rural vet clinic as such, but it, but it, it's not it's not on the mainland of Auckland City. So, like, do you do you tell people you work in a rural clinic or a metro clinic? I think I would say metro. To be honest, I see the the kind of animals that I see. It's um, I would say ninety percent small animals, so mostly yep. dogs, cats, yep. rabbits, birds. But the 
the kind of people that live on Waiheke, there's not very many production animals. So that's like your sheep and cows that are used for wool and milk and beef and that sort of thing. It's more like if they have sheep and cows, it'll be as pets, so as lifestyle animals or hobby farming sort oh, yeah. of thing. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a very, Jez, I don't know if you've you've been to Waiheke Island, but nah. it's a very nah. lifestyle place and there's some like nice little beaches, <laughs> vineyards, like it's got a bit of the Yarra Valley kind of style, like it's some... <laughs> Little like some of the rolling hills and things like that. It's a beautiful, beautiful place, but it's very like, yeah, it's it's attached. It's um, it's definitely connected yeah. to Auckland, but it's it sounds like it's a, a pretty cool and, and cruisy kind of place. Yeah, I really like that it's quite small as well because I like the idea that it it feels like a community. So you can meet people at the clinic and then go and see them out on the street, sort of thing. Um, which I like in the sense that I, I'm not living there all the time. So I guess I'm not seeing clients all the time, yep, but yep. I, I do live there every now and again. So like you, you've clocked up six months um, or a bit over now, um, six months. So you started back in January and like take us back to that because I know you've you've been doing quite a lot of um, like journaling and, and some diary entries around like firstly, there's, there's a few questions. How much of that are you doing? Um and, and take us back to the journaling and those those lead up days to starting work. Like you shared that across Insta, so it's it's there for, for public consumption. But I was, you know, quite interested in following that that build up and and like starting this thing you've you've put so much into to to get underway for sure. And I think the thing that people expect you to say when you're when you've put so much into it and you're finally starting, they expect you to be just over the moon with excitement. So whenever somebody asks me, they're like, oh, when are you starting work? And be like, you know, in a couple of days, and they'd be like, oh my gosh, you must be so excited. And I would tell them that, yes, I'm so excited. But in my head, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so nervous that my, that yes, I mean, of course, there was an element of excitement to it. But the, for the most part, I was just so nervous and I was nervous about the fact that people would rely on me and that I would have I have to put all my knowledge into action and I was so nervous about that that I just didn't really feel excited um I've I've used in my diary a few a few times that I felt like a fraud um I felt like somebody was going to find out that actually I hadn't passed vet school even though I had um I've got the certificate and everything, but I just kind of had this feeling. I was like, what if I'm not good enough? It was that entire imposter syndrome thing going on. Um, And so in terms of journaling, I kind of do it a lot more. Like if you read my journal, it's probably very like down in the dumps sort of thing. When I write in it, when I'm feeling emotional in a sense that I don't know what to do with my feelings, Um, I'm, it's more, when I'm feeling upset that I'll write in it and it will get it out on paper. I can reread it. I can think about it, digest it and that sort of thing. And I, I guess when I'm more excited about something, I, I tend to tell those stories verbally. I speak to a lot of people about it. Uh, so not many of those are in my diary. They definitely are, but um, not as much as the, the, the nerves and that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, leading up to, starting my job I think I had a stress nightmare most nights like I would almost say every night I I dream a lot every, anyway like I, I dream literally every night I can remember my dreams but these were 
proper like nightmares and it's it was always the one where like always the type of nightmare where you're working through something and you're aware that what you're doing is so completely wrong but you can't change it and you just have to live through the dream um so that's how I felt I was and I'm a very I would say I'm a confident person um for the most part so to be that unconfident starting my job really made me quite nervous um but I was as I say I'm very grateful with the job that I'm in because I am so supported I I started my role but basically working more as a nurse than as an actual vet um and then so I would be figuring out how things would work in the back when I say that I mean I still did the vet stuff like I still a vet has to induce an animal to make the animal go to sleep before anesthesia. That's the vet's job. So I still did that sort of stuff. Um, But it was just, I wasn't doing any consulting. And if I was in a consult, I was there shadowing my actual boss. Uh, So those nightmares slowly um, got less and less. But there would be days where I'd rock up to the clinic, especially when I first started consulting. And the thing that I, I guess I felt the most was, okay, I know how to do a physical exam. I know how to communicate with clients. That's fine. But if I find something wrong, often I, I felt like, okay, I knew what the next diagnostic step was. But once I had done the diagnostic step, where do I go from that? What treatment plan do I have? And I think it was the making of the treatment plans that scared me the most because they can treatment plans can be different depending on the vet that you talk to even there's a a basic idea but they can be quite different at the same time so I guess just there was so much it was like I have to make this up um where am I drawing this knowledge from am I going to have enough time in a consult and that sort of thing but since since working and I mean I do this a lot less now that I've been practicing for a bit longer but I would often I would be in the other consult room and I'd say, oh, I'm just going to pop out the back to grab this drug. But I wasn't, I mean, I did grab a drug, but I didn't know which drug I was grabbing. I would pop out the back to go and ask my boss (laughs) what I should be doing or discuss my sort of ideas with her. Um, And then I'd grab the drug and we'd figure out a dose rate and then I'd go back and I'd look really smart. But in the meantime, I was just like, you know, just got that from my boss kind of thing. Um, as I say, that's got a lot less now. There's there's still times when I do something similar. Um, if there's cases that I haven't seen before, because I mean, you only see so much as a student. You you see whatever comes through the doors at the clinics you're working at, or you you read about things. But seeing it yourself is quite different every time. Um, so I, I will still do it, or I'll sometimes. I mean, I've been known to to go for a quick Google in the consult or I walk out and I go for a Google and that kind of thing. So there's definitely what I've learned is clients don't mind waiting for you to even think about things. That's fine with them. They they What they want to see is that you care about their pet and are putting the effort into it. So, yeah, I mean, I've even had times where I've been like I'm not entirely sure right now I'm going to go get a second opinion or if it's something that's not pressing I'll be like I'm not entirely sure but I know where I can find this information um I'll give you a call later on today so just knowing that there's different ways that you can deal with um 
not knowing, I guess, that's given me a lot more confidence. Um, and those, sorry, the journal writing has not happened as much, I guess, because of it. Mm. No, I was just going to say, I think that's a really important aspect of it, though. And I know certainly in my job and also like going to professional people, like going to a doctor or something like that, I feel so much better when they're honest about it and say, look, I don't know this off the top of my head. I can have a quick Google now or I'll go and chat with a colleague or something like that. And I mean, we don't expect everyone to be complete professionals with an encyclopedic knowledge the minute they step out of school. So having that sort of, having that, not really ability, but reassurance that you can take that moment away, that you can check with someone, that you can have a roundtable discussion if you need to with five other people to get to get the right answer and the right outcome, I think is is an important thing. I think also as well, like I was just kind of, as you were, as you were explaining, working through that, Leanne, your stint at university teaches you so much and obviously gives you this amazing toolkit, I guess, like for for practicing what it is that you've you've learned to do. But in many ways, I guess the education finishes at the end of uni when you get your degree, but the learning begins as you go through working life. I mean, that's applicable across the board in different levels of complexity in terms of what you do. But I suppose, do you, do you re- try to remind yourself and anchor yourself back to the fact that you do have that toolkit and that you, you're armed with what you need to go forward, you, but you're going to have to take time to find out the answers? Definitely. And I think that's the thing that uni does really well is it teaches you to be a problem solver. And I mean, they can't teach you all the information in one go, but they can give you the resources or they can show you where to look up things um, so that when you're out in practice, you can actually manage and it is fine. So like um, you touched on as well, like being in consults, just that that introduction of humans to the process, right? Where I'm, I'm sure at uni, you probably simulate that to an extent, but when you're actually in a consult room and it's, and there's the doggo and now a human, um, it's like we, we try to tell people, Jez, through our platform of what we're doing with Flynn's Walk is, is that a vet deals with a, with a human client and an animal patient altogether, but you don't get a, crack, a real fair crack at that until you start in a clinic, right? That's it. We definitely at uni, I mean, it was probably less for us because of COVID, but when we were at uni, we'd go in and take the initial history from clients and we'd do the initial physical exam on the dog or cat or whatever, and then we'd go out and talk to the vet and discuss our findings, discuss what we were thinking, come up with a plan with the vet, but then the vet would often be the one to go in and discuss the next plan, or if anything, you would discuss the plan while the vet was standing there. So it was a lot different. It was so much, it, it was more you were doing the work for the vet, whereas now you are the vet and you're the one who's expected to form this rapport and, um, you know, get along with the client at the same time as actually figuring out all this thing with their things with the animals. And that, that definitely, I mean, for me, I do feel like communication is the one thing that I pride myself in, in terms of vet school. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I made it through vet school. I didn't have the top grades. Um, but my strength was that I could communicate. So I didn't find that too difficult. But um, it's still the part that did become difficult was when you would have to discuss prices with 
clients and um, you really wanted to do one sort of treatment option but then they couldn't quite do it because of financial constraints and that sort of thing. Um, that's when I, I guess working with clients has been a bit harder for me um, than just being at uni and kind of being like, this is what we do because the vet said to do this, you know? Yeah, well, you kind of got to justify justify your actions, justify your your treatment plan, and that's it. As you say, if they're if they're not a rich person or they're not they're not willing to spend that sort of money, then then it's it's sort of a kick in the pants when it when you get that kickback from from the owner. Do you feel like um, universities, your uni in particular, armed you enough for that communication side with with the humans, or have you felt like you really maybe you were just stronger in that? naturally um having some having some sort of confidence within yourself um and that that's that's held you in good stead or do you feel like the uni framework has enough of that for maybe people who who needed a bit more of a empowerment to be like be that way i think uni could always do more but then that's difficult because there is actually they have to teach you the actual content of being a vet mm. as well yeah i don't feel like i like uni didn't do enough for me. I feel like they did do enough. Um, I guess it's just in a perfect world, there would be more. Um, what my uni did, which was great, was in first year we had simulated kind of consults um, where we had actors come in and pretend, pretend to be clients and we'd go through the consult with them. Um, but because we were in first year and we basically knew nothing, we would. Um, it was all literally just focused on the actual communication, which was great because we learned all these sorts of tips and we would be watching behind like the, you know, those one way mirrors. We'd be watching our classmates go through their consults and then we'd give them feedback and everything. And then we did that again in third year, but now this time it was more integrating our own knowledge with actually the client communication. And then something that I found in fifth year that I'm grateful for COVID is that we we went online and we got given cases where we had to we had to act as the client and we'd come up with a case and um, then we would talk it through with somebody one of our colleagues who was acting as the vet and they would have to go through the case and we would put on totally different personas and act like different people so that you still got that client communication and then everybody else watching would give you feedback again, focusing on your client communication whilst the lecturers were focusing on both that and your actual knowledge. So I feel like what I got from UQ was amazing. I was actually thinking about that the other day, thinking how grateful I am for COVID that we got that as well. And I think what uni has done is they've picked up on those few things that were actually really helpful from COVID and they've used it for the the years coming by as well. So, I mean, yeah, as I say, if there was more time, there's always things that I would change about the curriculum. Um, but the only way you can really make it perfect is by adding more time and then it just doesn't become perfect anymore. Yeah. So I think they did a really good job. Well, and, I mean, and a lot of these things, inevitably, you just have to learn on the job. I mean, you can you can only learn so much in even in five years of your studies. Inevitably, yeah, some of this you just you just learn in the day to day and learn by looking at other people in your field and how everyone else is doing it. 
So I just wanted to jump back a little bit as well. Um, you mentioned before staying on the island every three weeks. You do you do on call and you actually sleep on the island. At, do you you stay at the clinic or you stay nearby? And what's what's sort of the what's sort of the on call process? Are you are you relied upon? Are you are you the only vet um, available? Yeah, so I just um, open up the dog crates and I make my bed in there and I stay there. Oh, the time. nice! Yeah, it's really nice. Five star. You get a warm blanket, or yeah, I do. I use a um, little warming, a little heat packs and everything. It's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I kid. Um, I I stay with one of my colleagues. Um, she's got a spare bedroom with a bathroom and all that kind of thing. So she's like five minutes away from the clinic. So I stay there every three weeks. Um. So basically what I do, my normal working days for a normal week are Tuesday to Friday and I'm consulting from nine until six, but I usually get there depending on the ferry, like between eight and nine and stay until about 6.30. So when I'm on call, I come in on Monday and I'm on call basically from 6 p.m. that day all the way until the next Monday at 8 a.m. Um and I'm basically available 24-7 sort of thing. So once the phones switch over at 6 o'clock every day, it goes to my um, well, it's kind of my personal phone. We have an app that we use. And, um, yeah, I'm available to pick up the phone at any time. Uh, I also work on Saturdays when I'm on call. We, we're open from 9 until 1. Um, and, I mean... Yeah, as I say, I answer the call whenever it comes in. Sometimes it is something that I, well, the most most of the times for me so far, I've, I've actually needed to go to the clinic. Um, sometimes it's people just wanting a bit of advice, being like, do we need to go in um, or can we wait until tomorrow sort of thing. And then if I go into the clinic, I am the only vet there and I look at the pet and I make my own assessment. Um, I either treat it on the spot and send it home with the owner or I will admit it into hospital. Um, if I admit it into hospital, I can, or I suppose at any stage, I can call a nurse to come out because they're on call as well um, and they can come out and help me. Um, that's that's for things like placing catheters or that sort of thing. So we've got um, access to the their veins. Um, although I've been pretty proud of myself because I've actually managed to place catheters by myself now um I don't always need to call in a nurse which is quite exciting um and then again if I get stuck with anything in the case I can always call my boss she's either on island while I'm on call or the other vet is on island because there's three of us at the practice so I can always call one of them and discuss the case or they can come in and help me yeah. with the case is there is there pressure to to be self-reliant to to not have to call in anyone or have you or is the is the clinic sort of work environment good enough that you feel like you can call whenever you need I can call whenever I need it's yeah yep. it's pretty yeah that's good pretty decent I mean obviously they they want me to try and do things myself first yep um, and I guess there's only one way to to learn properly and that's by trying it yourself but if I do need help, I feel like I can call whenever and I do get that help. Do you do you find yourself able to switch off or are you just constantly looking at your phone, waiting for it to call? I imagine like I've never done anything like that, but I imagine I would not be able to sleep, not be able to do anything, just sort of waiting for that phone to ring. Yeah, it's definitely got a lot better. I think I'm sleeping a lot better now. Yep. But at the start, it was 
you know, quite stressful. Always you put your phone down at night and then you've got to double check, oh, is it actually off silent is, um, for my app to work? Is the Wi-Fi on and yep. all this kind of thing? Yeah. Is my phone fully charged? But what I do do, like especially during the weekends, I have my friends or my parents, um, they, they have come over and we hang out during the weekends, but they always are aware that I might have to go into clinic. So I, I guess I'm learning to relax with it, but I am not entirely relaxed with it at all. Getting it anytime that phone rings, I've actually, I've had to set a different ringtone yep, for smart. the on-call phone. Yeah. Um, and anytime that rings, I do get butterflies and I kind of stress out and I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Um so yeah, I definitely freak out. Um, and then I, if I hear that same ringtone with some random's phone, I, I you know have that same little freak out moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like when someone else has their has their alarm, your alarm set as their phone ringtone. You're on the train. You're like, oh, I've just woken up. Yeah, literally <laughs> that same feeling. <laughs> your openness to sharing your journey through all of this is to be commended. Like it's it's amazing what you share of yourself. Um, at a personal level on Instagram and across your online content. And and undoubtedly one of the hardest things it seems like you've had to face is euthanasia. And as a pet owner, it's the hardest thing we face, um, having been through it, you know, too many times in my life. But we understand we don't we don't get to keep our pets forever. For you, uh, you made a really powerful post um, in the last couple of weeks just about how you've faced that and and a, and, a, and a taking it somewhat in your stride but acknowledging also that you need some support take us through just that and and on it like I suppose the question to you is like can you ever truly be ready to to face having to having to do it I don't think you can to be honest I think it's always something where it's a bit like oh I've, I've got a euthanasia in my column you know it's always something like oh that's a bit upsetting um so yeah in my in my post I shared that I have gone to therapy to sort of get some help with euthanasias as a preventative sort of matter because again back in my journal I wrote this was while I was at vet school and I didn't I hadn't shared this with anybody um I've only recently shared it with my parents and um obviously with the counsellor but I always questioned myself when it came to euthanasia and I questioned whether I would be a good enough vet because I think my coping me- mechanism was to not feel anything. Um, I, I didn't know whether that was because I never actually really did the euthanasia. I was kind of just there um, in the room um, watching it happen. I didn't have any sort of emotional connection with the animal in the sense that I had only just met it. I hadn't, I didn't have a history with the animal, didn't have a history with the clients, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but even so, if I did occasionally perform a euthanasia, it wouldn't be with clients. It would be a stray animal or that sort of thing. And it was always in this, in, in, the, in a case where it was better for the animal. I've, I had never kind of performed a euthanasia where I was like, this animal's healthy enough to stay alive. Um, but it was always after the euthanasia, like even a day after or 10 minutes after or something, where it would hit me and I'd kind of be like, oh my gosh, I just took a life. 
but I didn't know how to deal with those emotions. So I think I just felt nothing. Um, and I was really worried because so many vets that I've heard speaking, they've always said, the day I don't feel anything with a euthanasia is the day I know I need to stop being a vet. So having that go in the back of my mind, I was like, am I even cut out for this job? But I knew deep down this is, I, I mean, I know that this is the only job I ever want to do. And I know that I'm so, it's so right for me. And I kept that to myself. And since sharing about the euthanasia, I've had a few people tell me that they've had that exact same um, emotional re reaction. They've just not felt anything. Um, but then they think about it and they're like, I just took a life. And then it's, they feel they don't, again, they don't know what to do with it. So I think the first thing I want to point out is just because you're feeling nothing, I guess, doesn't mean that you don't care, doesn't mean that you're not good at your job, that doesn't mean that you're not in the right position. Um, it's just I think it's a coping mechanism. Because then when I started at work, I had – and this is when it really hit me. I had a euthanasia. I had seen the cat two days before. And the cat wasn't doing too badly. Like, it was all right um, from when I saw it in, in consult. Like, its physical exam wasn't that bad. But listening to the, the client, um, I mean, the cat was weeing a lot, drinking a lot, all this sort of thing. So I had run some bloods on it. And it ended up having quite severe renal disease. And... I discussed with the owner that we could, it wasn't going to be ever something that we could treat in terms of the fact that this cat was never going to be better, but we could manage it. And so the only owner decided that, yes, let's, let's try and manage it. And I was like, okay, cool. This is, this is good. Like, you know, we're giving this cat a chance um, because it still seemed mentally like it was there. And then the, the next day I came into work and I saw that it was in my column as a put to sleep. And I was kind of like, oh, I wonder why that happened. Anyway, this cat basically had had a really bad night, was vomiting, diarrhea, like it had it had turned the corner kind of thing. Um, and so it had to be a put to sleep. And I had connected with this owner because I'd seen her for a, a different cat as well with vaccinations. And then I saw her with this cat and I, I got along quite well with her. And then seeing her cat, um, I took it out the back and, um, and when I put it to sleep, it kind of just, it had been sit, sitting up and it, it had wanted to sit up and it just dropped, um, not dropped on the ground or anything, but it just like dropped to, to lie down. And I just looked at that cat and I was like, how can you have been so alive? And in that second, I've taken that from you and now you're a body. and it kind of, I was like, what the heck just happened sort of thing. And I knew, I knew I was doing the right thing for this cat because it wasn't doing well anymore. I knew I had done the right thing for the owner, but I took the cat back to the owner and, you know, I gave her a hug and everything. And I, I said to her, like, you know, this cat is so lucky that you are her owner because, I'm a firm believer of it's better a day too early than a day too late. Um, and, you know, she, she'd given this cat the opportunity to 
um, pass away peacefully and not in pain and, you know, all of all of that. And anyway, she left and she was holding in tears and then I went out to the back and I just absolutely broke down. I said to the girls, I was like, my team, I was like, I need to go outside. I like, I, I'm not dealing with this very well. Um, and I, I went outside and I called my mom and I literally just cried on the phone to her for like 15 minutes. And it wasn't, I wasn't crying because I was sad that it had happened because I knew again that it was the right decision. But I think I was sad because I was trying to deal with emotions in the sense that I had put down, well, my own dog had had to be put to sleep a year or so before that. Um, and I don't think I had dealt with those emotions properly either because I had been in a different country when it had all happened. But I, I just knew the kind of emotions that they were going, that that owner was going home to deal with in the sense of just absolute sadness and just expecting their pet to be there and not being there or you know you hear little footprints and you're like footsteps and you're like oh that's my pet and you look around it's it's not your pet or I mean I still sometimes I'll see my dog was a little white fluffy thing sometimes I'll see a plastic bag on the floor and I'll be like oh Jack's there and it's not him and um you know so I just felt so much sadness for this owner and I spent the rest of the day I went into my consults and I continued seeing owners and you know you you treat each owner as if it's the start of the day it's you know you you give them that same amount of energy but inside I was just like broken I guess and I was shaking by the time I went home it was just such a it just it really hit me um and in some ways I felt good that it hit me because I was finally like there's that emotion that I've been waiting for with euthanasia, you know? But I realized I was like, I can't, if this is the job that I want to do for the rest of my life, I can't keep feeling this emotional after each euthanasia. I think it's fine to have the emotions, but it was just so overwhelming that I was like, this is going to break me if I keep going like this. So I did some research and um, I found that through the New Zealand Vet Council, they do uh, free men- uh, free counselling. Um, you get like three free sessions or something a year. So I ended up calling and booking a session with a counsellor. And I went to that counselling session and basically what I got out of it was that I need to change my thought process prior to going into a euthanasia because if I go into a euthanasia thinking about, oh, this is sad, I'm about to take a life, um, the owner's going to go home and feel all the sadness and that kind of thing, it puts me in a negative mindset. Not in the sense that, no, you shouldn't be having those emotions, but it's just this isn't something that I can work with if I'm going to keep working that day. So now I go into each euthanasia and I think to myself, I'm giving peace to the animal and to the owner and I'm relieving them of stress and pain, both the animal and the owner. And I repeat that in my head over and over um, before I walk into that consult, while I'm in the consult um, and after the consult. And 
um, I've said to the girls at work, I've asked them, please, if you know I have a euthanasia, don't ask me if I'm okay. Don't ask me afterwards, are you okay? Like, I mean, yes, give me a hug. Like, I, I love hugs. Um, but can we can we please just focus on the fact that I'm giving peace, the fact that I'm taking this pain and suffering away? Um, and that has made the absolute world of difference to my euthanasia consults. Um, but that post that I did share, that one, it still hit me because I I was on call that night and I got a call at 9.30 and I was literally like about to get changed to go to sleep. And this lady said, um, I think my dog's going to die. And I said, okay, I'll meet you at the clinic basically now. Um, so I went and I was kind of, I was prepared for, again, I was thinking along the lines of what my boss had said was, don't freak out, just examine the animal. But I examined this dog and she she wasn't in a, a good way. Um, and basically she'd had a, a, a big fall um, and she didn't have any deep pain in her back legs, which means likely something spinal and it's it, it's not a good pro- prognosis. She was a 16-year-old dog as well and had a few other things going on. So they were expecting it to happen at some stage this year but they weren't expecting it to happen like this and so I ended up having to put that dog to sleep that night and then I was sitting on the on the floor and it was like 11 o'clock now or something and um I was painting her paws because we always paint them and you know do little paw prints so that we can give them to the owner sitting there at 11 o'clock at night and I was like I don't, it just hit me again. I was like, this was crazy. I was literally about to go to sleep. It was a Monday night, so I hadn't even worked that day and I just had come in and it all kind of just happened. But again, I had repeated to myself prior to the euthanasia that I was giving that pain, I mean, giving the peace and taking the pain away and taking the stress away. And it just, it gives me so much I'm still validating my feelings, like, don't get me wrong. I'm accepting that it it is, it can be a sad thing, especially for those owners. But I'm able to work through it. And I think, yeah, that's been the biggest takeaway for me with going to that counselling session. Yeah. yeah. And do you feel like, like you spoke about imposter syndrome a bit before, do you feel like you're also in that process, you're also validating yourself that you've, made the right decision that you're that you're actually doing something that's beneficial and that you have the expertise and everything else that goes along with it to to make that call definitely I mean even now I think about the case and I'm I'm like did I make the right decision but I know that I did Mm. um and I know that because the clients were waiting for me to kind of tell them what to do and I I don't think I'm ever going to say I mean, maybe one day, but I, I, I still give them the decision. It's not my decision. I just give them the best, yeah, the, the yeah, outcomes exactly. sort of thing and let them decide based on that. But yeah, that, that whole imposter thing, it did flash through my mind that night because I was like, am I giving them the right information? And then I thought about it. And I was like, yes, like I am. Um, but it, it definitely, I, I questioned myself for a second um, to because it, it's such a huge decision, definitely. Um, but yeah, it, it it's helped, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot to be said about. Well, you said you went um, and 
sought counseling as a preventative measure. And ultimately, I think what I take from what you've just talked about is, is that you're not trying to lock it into a vault and suppress what's there. Um, it is emotional. You'll feel the feels. <laughs> uh, but how can you how can you walk into it um, at least acknowledging your strengths, who you are, what you bring to it? And I think even just yeah, the way you articulated your mantra um, in your post around around what you repeat in your own mind is um, worth a look uh, for anyone who's uh, follows Leanne's page or doesn't. Um, you should jump on and, and read that for yourself. But all I have to say as well to that is thank you for sharing because um, I I think from where I'm sitting, Jez, that's that's incredibly uh, like it's the openness you've brought to that is is amazing and. Um, I hope others will listen to that and go, hey, yeah, I'm living the journey too. And you know what? I might Google where I can get some support to talk talk to someone as well and make that make that a, a way that people go about it um, is a wonderful thing. And the other one is, is including it as a team um, approach rather than you just going, well, I've got this thing, but the rest of the team talk about it in this way or behave about it differently. So that's that's pretty special as well. And even just even just the fact that you're talking about it, that people are people who are hearing this may may be in the vet profession, may be students about to start their careers, and knowing that everyone's going through these things, everyone's experiencing the same sort of feelings, and even if, as you said, your your feelings around euthanasia weren't exactly the same as what you had heard about, but everyone's everyone's way of going through it is completely valid. And I think what I've what I've kind of realised is after I did share that I had gone to the counselling and everything, a few other people messaged me and were like, you know, I've actually gone to counselling for it too. And I that's why I wanted to share it because we we talk about mental health here and um, I see it so much and I think it's just important that the more we share it, the more people will realise how normal it is to, to need that help. Um, and so, yeah, although it can be scary, I mean, it took me a little while before I did share that I had gone to therapy. Um, although it can be scary, I think it's so important that we keep sharing those sorts of things, even if it takes you a little while to actually share, share that you did it. Still bringing up that conversation and being like, look, I've been there too. It makes it so much easier for other people. Yeah, well, there's that whole there's that whole stigma around it of of the, if you if you see a therapist or if you see a counselor if you ask for help there must be something wrong with you and I know I mean even myself I know I've had I've seen therapists and have trouble talking to people about that fact because um, yeah there's that there's that huge stigma around it that hopefully day by day we can break down and and as you say normalize it more even just for me as a lowly a lowly ginger cat owner um, reading that I go. Okay, I even just drive drives it home for me about you are human as well on the other side of the consult table, and that is also what we're trying to remind people to, um, about through these conversations we're having. So good on you for sharing that. So in the lead up, Leanne, to getting you on for a chat, we decided to give uh, vet students and any new grads out there the opportunity to ask you a question and. We got a question from Laura in Cork. Uh, Laura's question to you, Leanne, is how do you, as in did you or, or have you heard of others, feeling like maybe you just weren't smart enough to be a vet? Um, I know you said you, you didn't, you acknowledged you didn't have the perfect scores and perfect grades and um, got it done and, and graduated and here you are. So like, how do you, how do you kind of work through 
maybe feeling like you're not clever enough, intelligent enough to be to be a vet. Somebody said to me once, I don't know, if, maybe it was my dad, I don't know. Um, he seems to be a wise man. I'll, I'll give him the credit. <laughs> um, that if you get a passing grade, whatever your university determines as a passing grade, they clearly think that you are good enough to go out there and do this in, in the wild, you know? Um, so, yeah, getting those top grades is great. But as long as you get that passing grade, you are actually capable. And that sort of changed my my outlook on things. I mean, of course, definitely still strive for those top grades, but um, you're not going to be the expert on everything. Um, and I think that was something else that helped me to realize that, some some points I'm really good at, probably better than average, and other points I might not be as great at. But there are other people that I can reach out to. Another thing that my, my lovely dad told me was that if I was good enough to get in, I'm good enough to keep going. And that really helped me. Yeah. Um, even if you're if you're still trying to get into vet school and you're thinking you're not good enough, I didn't get in the first time. There's a bunch of people um, that didn't get in the first time, didn't get in the second time, got in the fourth time, you know, um, and they're still going out there. They're even, they're vets now, or they're, they're almost in their last year of university at, at vet school. The grades don't completely define you. Um, the way that your brain works may not be kind of the same way that you get tested. Um, for me, I, I'm, I'm definitely a lot better with, my client communication than I am with the actual writing the correct words in my um, my exams and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, imposter syndrome is definitely hard. Thinking that you're not smart enough, I've been there. Um, I still sometimes think that I'm not smart enough. But there, as I say, you're not alone. And I think that's something that exams make you feel like you are and they make you feel like you need to know everything in that second and you need to be the only one that knows that answer. But in real life, you can go and look it up. You can go and pretend you're going to get a drug out the back and ask somebody else, you know. Um, so it's it's hard at vet school, but, you know, just keep pushing and you'll, you'll get there. So we've also got a question from, and excuse my pronunciation if I get it wrong, it's Abby Sheck. The question is, how do you deal with the emotional side of, of veterinary? For example, when the owner doesn't want to go with the treatment that you're that you're offering or suggesting, I think this can be hard. I've definitely had one one client that made me cry, um, but I think I'm lucky that I have the supportive team who remind me that the options I've given the client are um, I'm doing the best that I can. But also, I think the thing that's so important to realize is that. If a client has brought their pet into the vet, they care enough to want to do something and it's not our position to judge them and the amount that they can actually put into their pet. They're there and that's what we should work with. Um, so, yeah, we might not be able to do gold standard treatment and to be honest, the majority of the time you can't. It doesn't doesn't work like that. Um, but even being able to offer some sort of treatment is better than not offering anything so for me when I'm in consult I often I, I always start with well this is gold standard and I go through that and if the client's on board with that we go with that if they can't do that 
we work our way down until we find something that the client is actually able to work with. So for me, yes, it can be emotional. Um, but again, I repeat to myself, the client is here with their pet. They clearly care, care enough to do something. Abhishek also asked, do you think a very sensitive person can be a good vet? I mean, you seem like you've got a soul. You're, you're a sensitive soul. I like to think I have a soul. Um, <laughs> you're a sensitive soul is, what I, is how, I meant to, uh, how I meant to say that. I, I, I agree. I think I feel like I'm very emotionally connected to how I'm feeling and people often know exactly how I'm feeling and that sort of thing. Um, so, yes, I think, it, I think it's possible. Um, I feel like I'm living proof of that. Um, I guess... It can be difficult um, and there are things that you do sort of need to learn to deal with. But the more that you see them, the more used to that sort of thing you get. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, just just being out there and experiencing it. If, if you're not sure where you stand, uh, clinics are always happy to have people coming in and shadowing them to see whether they're, uh, they can do the profession and that sort of thing. That's actually how I ended up choosing on choosing to become a vet. I only decided halfway through my my last year of high school, and I the reason I wasn't sure was because I didn't know if I could deal with blood and guts, and it was organised that I ended up going to my local clinic and I watched a lot of different surgeries and I realised then that yeah I could actually deal with it for animals. I was not great with it for people. Um, I'm better now, but being able to see that and kind of immerse myself in what actually what vets actually do um it really helped to to help me determine that that's where I wanted to go with my career yeah it's a great tip yeah Carrie who's a who's a close friend of uh Flynn's Walk and and, and the podcast uh, as well she's asked about uh setting up mentor relationships in the workplace um basically have you got any tips your process it sounded like you had a lot you asked for in the job interview process um Firstly, kind of like, how did you establish that? Like, was you, did you have mentorship around what you what you decided you'd need heading into a role? And yeah, it sounds like your boss, who's also your mentor, um, it has a really good kind of rhythm and flow to it. Definitely. So yeah, I guess I did have mentorship in terms of getting mentorship through uh, things like um, Dr. Dave Nickel. Um, he does a lot with uh, vets and teaching them how important it is um, to get mentorship and then also through something called VMS mentors and just listening to other vets and reading about posts and all that kind of thing of other vets saying mentorship is so important and I, I began to realize like maybe this is something I actually need to put some effort in and um, figure out what I really needed. So during my job application process um, I took it as a, a chance to, yeah, they were interviewing me, but in a way I was also interviewing them. And I had a few things that I, I wanted. So one of them was a dedicated mentor. And I discussed um, that I was wanting somebody that I could meet with, um, say, every, I, I gave them, I said, two or three months or something. Ideally, I'd like it monthly um, and have a, a formal sit down with them to discuss where I'm at to just, just go through my goals and um, if I haven't achieved them, why not? And figure out ways I could achieve them. If I had achieved them, make more goals. Um, 
And then I also had things like I, I wanted extended consults, especially to start with, and I wanted to start with only vaccination, well, healthy, sort of easier consults when I first started and that sort of thing. Um, so I discussed that with them in my in my interview and I, I made it very clear like those were the, the sorts of things I wanted. But as I said earlier, I had um, sort of a list and then I had my priorities. So I didn't go in there um, asking for absolutely everything um, because, you know, I didn't, I, I also didn't want to be too demanding, but I, I did have things that I definitely wanted. And then I spoke to them about my contract and I actually added my own terms into the contract and they were amazing that they, they let me do that. And I think anybody who's going into a new role as a, as a vet should feel comfortable enough to add things into their contract. Um, cause that really helped me, especially like the extended consults. So our consults are usually 20 minutes and I asked for 40 minute consults when I first started and at first, um, so our nurses and receptionists, they, they booked the consults and they were booking me as 20 minutes. And I said to them, no, I'm, I'm actually supposed to have 40. And they're like, why? You're a vet. You can do it. And I said to them, I was like, no, it's actually in my contract. So I do need 40 minute consults. And once everybody knew that, that was how I started my first working life. Um, so I think, and those sorts of things that I asked for, I had picked that up by reading information that other vets had shared especially through Instagram and I picked it up through Dr. Dave Nichol and through VMS mentors I then also I'm part of a few different Facebook pages um to do with vets and everything and one of them I can't even remember which one it was uh asked for um if anybody was looking for to be a to have a mentor and if they wanted mentoring and so I, I put my name down and luckily I got um, paired up with somebody who is great. Um, he's a vet in Melbourne and he helped me through my exams, even my final year exams and everything. And um, he's been another mentor that I have. Um, his name's Josh and Josh Richmond. I'm pretty sure he listens to you guys and has gone on the walk and that kind of thing. Shout out. Yeah, man. <laughs> he's a legend. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... He also helped me with, you know, like looking at the jobs and what I really wanted. Um, and he's continued to be a mentor for me. So I have my boss at work. I have Josh, um, who's somebody out of work who, you know, he can help me with all sorts of things and just also give me different ideas. Um, and then also through New Zealand, the New Zealand Vet Council, they've started a new mentoring thing. So I've got a different mentor through that as well, who I meet with um, online every three months or so. Um, so I think it's important. You don't just necessarily need one mentor because people can give you different um, pieces of advice. And as I said before, different vets have different treatment plans and stuff. And the more information you gather from different people, the better you are at, you're more informed and you can make your own sort of decisions. Thanks very much. That's um. That's great. And thanks everyone who did submit a question and we clumped a few together that had similar uh, themes. So we did get a good response to that and it's nice to have the interaction um, from our listeners and our audience across socials. So we really appreciate that and appreciate you taking the time um, to, to give some insights. But overall, just a big thanks for coming on um, and helping us kick off our third season and uh you know being a return guest and and all that comes with that so exactly 
always a pleasure to chat and um yeah keep up keep up your amazing work in your in your in your chosen field um and uh keep up the great work online as well with sharing your sharing your story because um it's fantastic and i i know it goes a long way to helping a lot of people i really appreciate that you guys have got me back on especially for a second gig um i mean i hope there's a third one at some stage or maybe even a fourth who knows um and definitely let's get this flynn's walk going in new zealand i am keen for that hey um well not in the next two months because we've just been locked out again this is true this is very true but after that definitely definitely but no thank you thank you very much and thank you for what you guys do as well i mean i wear my my little flynn's walk badge with pride at work and everything and um yeah i just think it's so important that we keep sharing all this kind of stuff and um you guys are doing a great job and i can't wait to keep listening to your podcast while i'm on the ferry um (laughs) perfect timing Jez, we covered a fair bit of ground with Leanne and she's she's really quite an open book and it's amazing um, that she shares so much and she's so giving of her experiences. We did cover some some heavy topics and, and some very real uh, real life stuff, Jez, and, and there are it's always important and we like to remind people of support services that are out there if you are needing some help. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's always important to check in with it yourself, check in with others and and know that you can contact the, the various supports are out there, which we always like to to talk about at the end. So there's Beyond Blue, which you can call 1300 224636. There's Kids Helpline and Headspace for if you're under 25. There's Are You Okay, who we love and who have plenty of great resources on how to deal with trauma, stress, burnout, all of those things. Um, if you do feel like you're in crisis and you do need immediate support, you can call Lifeline, Suicide Callback Service, or if it's an emergency, call triple zero. Yeah. And the other one, Jez, as well, it's been getting shared quite a lot recently I've seen, which is a great thing um, to see, is the, that Lifeline text line. Um, you can actually SMS. Um, yeah, so that's yeah. that's in the evening, I believe, maybe six till midnight or something no so they've actually changed it's it's midday to midnight now they've expanded it ah awesome awesome 0477 13 11 14 is the number but uh yep. jump online through lifeline use google lifeline crisis text and that's another one that's there as well which is uh awesome to see yep definitely jez thanks very much mate uh, for your company today and always a pleasure to be here and we will be talking very soon mm-hmm.